Well, I'm super excited to be continuing in our study of Habakkuk series called Living Faith in a Season of Crisis. And what we're going to be talking about uh, today is Habakkuk 2, 2 through 4. This is going to be the beginning of God's second answer to Habakkuk. So um, if you've been studying along with us or if you haven't, just a, a quick review. Habakkuk is a prophet who's ministering at an inflection point in the life of the people of Israel. The, the uh, so, <laughs> I'm sorry, so there's, there's stuff distracting me in the, in the background. So everyone, everyone's trying to encourage me. My whole family's doing doing it. So um, Habakkuk is ministering at this inflection point in the life of the people of Israel. He's um, uh, at ministering between the end of the reign of the greatest king of Israel or Judah, the southern kingdom, Josiah, and the beginning of the Babylonian deportations, which began in 605 BC. Josiah's reign ended in 609. Uh, uh, the de- deportations began in 605, and they continued from 605 all the way through 586 when Jerusalem finally was conquered, the de- temple was destroyed, and the fullness of the exile set in. So there's this 20-year season of crisis that's on the horizon, and Habakkuk is ministering at that point at that time. And so this is where we find Habakkuk, and what we find in Habakkuk is Habakkuk is a prophet who is ministering to God on behalf of the people. So he's not a prophet like most of the prophets in the Old Testament who's speaking to the people on God's behalf, but he's a prophet who's speaking to God on the people's behalf. He's a mediator and he's going before the Lord in prayer. And in chapter one, verses two through four, he's, he's praying, how long, O Lord, why are you letting this happen? And then the Lord answers. And says, you think it's bad now, it's about to get worse. I'm going to bring the Babylonians. I'm going to bring a people even more wicked than what Israel's fallen into as judgment upon Israel. And, and Habakkuk goes back to the Lord in, in 1, 2 through 7, uh, 12 through 17. And he says, and he appeals to God's character while asking about God's conduct. So he's, he's saying, God, you're the living God, the eternal God, the holy God. How can, how can this be happening? And, and the Lord answers yet again here in chapter 2, verse 2. Um, and so what we see here is this dialogue between Habakkuk the prophet and Yahweh, the God of Israel. And we see here a pattern of prayer. We see here a pattern of persistence. We see here a pattern of faith. When I was uh, um, several years ago, Laura and I got into this show called Friday Night Lights, and I'm not recommending it per se, but in the show, it's about this high school football coach and his tagline and his slogan for his players and it was posted above the the lock the locker room tunnel they all hit it with their hand on the way out to to get into into action for the game and his slogan was clear eyes full hearts can't lose and i actually think that slogan is a good structure for what's happening in habakkuk 2 2 through 4 that when our eyes are clear with the clarity of god's promises and his purposes in scripture, when our hearts are full of faith, even and especially in times and seasons of waiting, that we can't ultimately lose. Um, And so that's what we're going to see in the text uh, of Habakkuk this afternoon. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 4. The Lord answered me. That's a beautiful, just those words alone. The Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets. So one may easily read it for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. 
Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous will live by faith. Father, I just ask you would help us to see the truth of your word and that this word would have a shaping effect on our hearts, that it would have a transforming effect on our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to have eyes that are clear with the vision of your promises and your purposes, that you would fill our hearts with faith, especially in times of waiting, and that we would remember that we cannot lose, that our eternal destiny is secure because of your promises. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 2. The Lord answered me. Write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. Here we see that the, the pattern of clarity of, of, of seeing the purposes of God and the promises of God and having clarity of vision of what God is doing in the world. Notice what it says. It says, the Lord answered me. Now, you notice there in your Bible or on your, uh, your phone or whatever, however you're looking at Scripture, maybe you can't see it. It's Lord, capital L, and then also capital O-R-D. And we talk about this a lot. That is the Hebrew name Yahweh. So this is not just the Lord like some sort of generic God. This is a specific God. This is the God who created the world. This is the God who called Abram out of and promised to make him a great nation. This is the God who entered into covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God who delivered his people out of Egypt through Moses. This is the God who had sent David as king over his people and had made promises and laid out his purposes. This is the God that is answering Habakkuk. And it's, it's important to remember, as we move through the scripture, we see that this God is more fully revealed in the New Testament and in the gospel as the triune God. That the name of Yahweh is even more uh, fully revealed as the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have here the triune God, the covenant God, the creator and the redeemer of his people who is answering Habakkuk. And the Lord's answer to, to this battered and weary and yet faith-filled prophet is this. Write down this vision. Write down this vision. And it's interesting. Um, so many churches I've seen, and, and I probably said this at some point, um, had a plan called Vision 2020. It was just too good to pass up, right? Because 2020 vision, clarity of, of sight, um, and, and so this 2020 vision, this is what we want to see happen in 2020. But nobody could have anticipated what's actually happening. Here we are. We're stuck at home, many of us. Some of us are out heroically serving. We, got, you know, we have nurses in our church. We have people in, me in medical and in retail that are out and serving the public. But nobody could have seen this. So when we talk about vision here, when he says write the vision, he's not talking about a sort of strategic plan from a leader. Those things are good, but they're also fallible. But what he's talking about here, he's talking about true prophetic vision that God has given to his people through Habakkuk. He says, write the vision. And what is the vision? What's the writing that Habakkuk's done? It is this book. It's Habakkuk. This book is a sign of Habakkuk's obedience to God to write down the vision, to make it plain. This is not a personal dream. This is not Habakkuk's personal dream for the future or for the people of Israel. This is God's word to the people through Habakkuk. 
I think it's a good reminder that as much as you're going to see, and even like stuff like this, 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 this video, and I'm sure you're seeing tons of content coming out. You're on Zoom calls. You're seeing, um, you know, image cards with with uh, advice. You're seeing news uh, reports. You're seeing press conferences. You're seeing medical data. You're seeing all of this stuff, and those things are helpful. But our ultimate norm, our ultimate guide for life and godliness is found in the scripture. So we don't reject those things, but we submit those things to God's word. This is what Habakkuk's doing. What he's doing is he is writing the word of God for the people of God. And notice he says, Habakkuk 2.2, write the vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. There's a doctrine that um, it's a big word that is ironically named called the perspicuity of Scripture. I remember in seminary, um, I was reading a book. It said the Scripture is perspicuous. And I was like, what in the world does that mean? And I asked my roommate who knew, and he said it means it's clear. And I thought, what an ironic name for a doctrine. The perspicuity of Scripture means Scripture is clear and able to be understood. Um, and, 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 and what we see here is that what God wants for Habakkuk is for the people to understand his word. And so to inscribe it on tablets, that's an allusion there to the, the inscribing of the Ten Commandments. It's, 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 some commentators think this, this vision of like a billboard up, um, up, you know, when you're driving down the road, this unmistakable message. This is what the Lord is calling Habakkuk to do, to provide for the people this kind of clear message through his word. Notice what he says. So one may easily read it. And and I'm using the CSB, uh, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, It's a good translation, not the only good translation. Um, But you notice there in my version, there's a little footnote. And the footnote says that this phrase actually literally means that one who reads it, it may run. And, um, That's why some commentators think this is almost like the idea of a billboard, because someone who's moving quickly can still get the message. You see here that that this is also an implication that this truth, this truth is intended for action. So, So it's clear and it's actionable that God's word is not just for knowledge, it's for obedience. Clear eyes. Clarity of God's purposes and his promises in Scripture. The first step of, of living the life of faith, living faith in a season of crisis. The second is in verse 3. We see hearts full of faith, especially and even in the waiting. Look what he says in verse 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. So we see here that, that what, what God has revealed to Habakkuk isn't happening yet. That, that, that the hastening to the end, he says, the vision is yet for the appointed time. It's a future prediction. Now, biblical prophecy, there are two kinds of prophecy. There is foretelling, which is predicting the future. And there is foretelling, which is simply telling the truth in the present. Most president present um and most prophecy in the scripture is not foretelling not predictive it's foretelling not foretelling predictive it's foretelling it's simply speaking the truth to the people of god in the present moment but this is a prediction the babylonians haven't come into the picture yet 
It's on the way. Probably in, the, in terms of months rather than years, Habakkuk is hearing from the Lord that the Babylonians are going to come in. 605, there's a deportation from Israel, Judah to Babylon. 597, there's another deportation. And finally, 586, it's all done. There's a 20-year period of crisis. We think we're in a season of crisis. It's been nine days for some of us, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, and people are antsy, and I get it. But we're talking here about decades of crisis that Habakkuk is predicting. And what, what the Lord is saying, in the midst of that season, what we need most of all is faith. It's going to be another 20 years, he says, before the exile is complete, and then another 70 years of exile in Babylon before the temple's rebuilt. It's going to be decades, 60 years later, that that Babylon is going to be destroyed. In 539, Babylon's conquered by Persia. We're talking about decades and decades and generation, a generation of people in a season of crisis. This is not a short season. This is not a month or or, or a year. This is decades. This is a lifetime. Daniel was exiled in his teenage years and spent the next 70 plus years in Babylon. We don't know how long our season is right now. Um, The the, the coronavirus quarantine, and obviously for for many, that's the least of our our problems. People are are in real danger financially and and physically. There's people who who are really sick and more every day. There's people who are dying. And we don't know how long the season's gonna last. We don't know if it... You know, people are talking about days and weeks and months. And, and at, the, at the end of the day, it's all hypothetical right now. We don't know. And, and what Habakkuk doesn't know is the full extent of God's plans. But what he does know is his calling in the midst of it is to be a person of faith. Notice what he says. The vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end. It will not lie. So the purposes and the promises of God are sure. Though it delays, wait for it. End of verse 3, Habakkuk 2, 3. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. There's a, one of my favorite lines in the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is when, um, uh, in, in the movies, and, uh, and when, when Gandalf arrives to the, back to the Shire and Frodo's waiting for him, and, and Frodo says, Gandalf, you're late. And Gandalf says, a wizard is never late. He arrives precisely when he intends to. God is never late. He arrives and his purposes and his plans unfold precisely when he intends. Galatians 4, 4 through 6. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. God's promises and purposes have a definite timeline. There's a timeline in God's purposes for this season of our culture, our society, our lives, our families, our churches. We don't know what that is, but God knows. And we're called to faith in the midst of the waiting. In the midst of the waiting, we're called to trust him. Isaiah eight seventeen says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. Second Peter 3, 8 and 9, famous verse you may know. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's patience and God's purposes are for the for, for for his plan of bringing his people to Christ in repentance and faith. God's patience with you is for the purpose of repentance. This is good news if you are in Christ. And it's potentially good news if you're not in Christ because there is still hope. It's not too late. Clear eyes, clarity of God's promises and purposes in Scripture, full hearts of faith, especially in the waiting. And when those things coalesce in our lives, we see that we cannot lose. We have nothing to lose that is ultimately and eternally valuable. A few years ago, I was watching my favorite team, San Francisco Giants, playing baseball in the playoffs, and I was watching online And at the time, we didn't have internet in our house, and so we were using the Wi-Fi from our neighbors. It didn't have a password. And we're using this this Wi-Fi, but it was spotty because it was, you know, across the yard or whatever. And so I'm watching this game on my laptop, but I'm also checking the score, you know, on on like ESPN.com or MLB.com or whatever it was. And so the game is delayed because the feed is delayed and our internet connection wasn't stable. And so the game I'm watching still in the ninth inning with a couple outs to go, but the game in real time had already finished and and my team had already won. But I still, I was still watching it play out in real time. This is sort of what's happening here. I had yet to see the last out, but I knew that we were going to win. And so all of the pressure and all of the anxiety was gone. This is what it's like to be a Christian. We know how the game ends. And so all of the pressure, all of the anxiety, it's gone. Or at least it should be. When we have clear eyes for God's purposes, hearts full of faith in his promises, we can't lose. Look at verse 4. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. Here he's contrasting the righteous, faithful person with the evil Babylonian. He's puffed up. The Babylonian leader, Nebuchadnezzar, he's he's arrogant. He's prideful. He's wicked. But in contrast, the righteous one will live by his faith. When the Apostle Paul built out his doctrine of justification by faith in the book of Romans and elsewhere, the place he looked, among others, was Habakkuk 2.4. This is the cornerstone of how Paul defends justification by faith from the Old Testament. When he says Romans 1.16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, and here he cites Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. Less than 10 years before that, he'd written the book of Galatians and said that all who rely, Galatians 3, 10, and 11, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. 
And now it is evident, he says, that no one is justified before God, before the law. Why does he say that? Because, now he cites Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. So what Paul concluded as he read the Old Testament and as he read Habakkuk 2, he found in Habakkuk 2.4 a summary of God's purposes for his people from beginning to end. And he looked at the story of Abraham in Abraham 15, 6, and it says Abraham believed God and God reckoned or credited it to him as righteousness. And he says from beginning to end, from Genesis to the end, it's always been about faith. It's not about obedience to the law. It's not about our works. It's about faith in God's purposes person and promises. And the way that's fully revealed in the New Testament is that God the Father sent God the Son to become a human being, to live a sinless life that we should have lived but didn't, to die by crucifixion because the wages of sin is death, to be buried and raised from the dead so that anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ will be forgiven their sin and given eternal life. This is the way, as they would say on the Mandalorian, the way of faith. The righteous will live by faith. John Calvin said that faith which strips us of all arrogance and leads us naked and needy to God that we may seek salvation from him alone, which would otherwise be removed from us. What is God doing in this time? He's stripping away the scaffolding of our own works and our own attempts to save ourselves. And he's throwing us onto his mercy so that we will trust him and trust him alone. By grace through faith in Christ is the way from beginning to end. Clear eyes, clarity of God's purposes and promises in the scripture. Full hearts, hearts full of faith, even and especially in the waiting. And when those things coalesce and we trust what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we cannot lose We have nothing of eternal value that can be taken away from us. One of my favorite um, analogies for this that I've used a number of times is um, the the, the great San Francisco earthquake in 1989. And uh, so some of you may have heard this because I've used this analogy. This is one of my favorite ways to describe what it means to build your life on the doctrine of, not on the doctrine, but on the person of Christ by faith, by grace through faith. So what happened in the 1989 San Francisco Loma Prieta earthquake was it was during the World Series between the Giants and the A's, the Bay Bridge Series, and there's this massive earthquake. And the epicenter of that earthquake was actually about 70 miles from San Francisco in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Um, but most of the, the most of the worst damage happened along the, the shoreline of the bay in, in San Francisco and other places. And the reason for that was that early on in the development of the city and the Bay Area, they filled in the bay with loose materials and landfill and didn't properly found what would eventually become uh, uh, the expansion of the shoreline. So that when buildings were built on top of this stuff, it seemed stable at the time. But when the shaking started, it, sh- it shook at such a frequency that something ca- that, that geologists call liquefaction happened, that this landfill turned to mush and quicksand in a moment by the shaking started and and everything collapsed. If you're building your life on anything but 
Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And if you're trying to seek God in any other way than by grace through faith, you're building your life on landfill. And when the shaking of God's wrath starts against sin, your life will crumble. So I encourage you, trust God. Clarity of eyes in his promises and purposes in the scripture. Hearts full of faith, even and especially in the waiting. Build your life on truth. Build your life on Christ. Amen.